Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Good morning. We have several scriptures for the scripture reading to read this morning, so if you want to follow along. And also when I talked with Brother Glenn, he wanted you to notice the emphasis on love in our scripture readings this morning. So the first one is from John chapter 15, verse 12. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then John 15, verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. And 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then 2 John 1.5 says, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrought a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. John 13, verse 35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 1 John 4, verse 21 says, And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Philippians 2, 2, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ephesians 4.2, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Romans 12.10 Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. 1 Peter 1, verse 22 Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Thank you. Would you open God's book, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? And throughout the day, if you leave that chapter open on your lap in our worship, you will be where the sermon originates. So glad to see you here. We often use the terminology acts of worship to differentiate between the different things that we're doing this morning in worship. The acts of worship, and I, I don't think that's a bad way to phrase it. I think a better way to phrase it would be the avenues of worship, the path that we are following, the different paths we're following toward God and offering our worship to Him. And this morning, Benjamin has done a great job selecting songs, and, and that last song, uh, God is Love, is uh, magnificent, and I don't know how to sing that without it being genuine worship. You, uh, you're following an avenue of worship. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you're here. This sermon is about love. 
And it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so, as you know, this has specifically to do with love between Christians. Love is kind of difficult to define. If, if I handed out paper today and had everybody write their definition for the word love, I suspect it would be very diverse. If you look it up in the dictionary, I mean Oxford's or Webster's dictionary, what you find is something like this. An intense emotion of affection. That's pretty good. It's just very, very shallow. And this illustrates, I think 1 Corinthians 13 illustrates because it, it defines and describes love, agape love. I, I, I would say that it's, it's very illustrative of the fact that Christianity is not an emotional, not merely an emotional religion. It, it, is, it is a thinking religion. To say something about an intense emotion of affection is, that's real sweet, you know, and it sounds sort of, sort of poetic and that's the, that's the way they're going down, that's how they're looking at love, but that's just so very, very small. The first time you find the word love in the Bible is Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2. And it's, it's the occasion where God says to Abraham, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, to a mountain I'll tell you of, and I, I want you to offer him for a burnt offering. But, but he underscores it by saying, I know that you love him. Little Jack Hogan is pretty, pretty uh, important. And, and I would think probably the Hogans are watching by live stream this morning because they cannot be here. I hope they're all healthy soon. But, but when Keith holds that new baby, Jack, what he thinks is, and you know this if you've got children because you've, you've felt this. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you, son. There is nothing I wouldn't do. And for the rest of Keith's life, he's going to feel that way. He's going, and that, and that's, that really is the point. And we understand that. And when we talk about our marriages, we understand it. And sometimes you'll, you'll have a problem, you'll have a, a contentious fuss in your marriage, and, and uh, one of them will say, you know that I love you, and the other one will respond or retort by saying, but you don't act like it. Hold it. That's it. Wait. That is the point is that love is not merely an emotion. It's an emotion that is enacted by action. It is, it is animated by action. And if the action isn't there, then nobody's going to believe it's real love. Nobody will. Because we know that action has to follow the feeling to validate it. I, I, I don't usually do this. I don't, I don't really care for referencing movies when I preach, but I'm going to do it today. And when, look at this slide. So when Tevye says to Golda, do you love me? And I'm only doing this because this is a great illustration of the point. Do you love me? And she, she pauses and she says, do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned the house, Giving you children, milked your cow. If that's not love, what is? See, that's not, see, that's it. That is the point. It's not merely a feeling. It's a, it's a feeling that is validated by action. And if the action isn't there, nobody believes that it's love. Now that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is about. So let me, let me, you know how I like to preach. I want to set the table first, and then we'll get to the text. But, but I want you to know that 
in Corinth, in the church, you've got a great diversity of people. They're very, very different. I don't, I don't know where they always worshipped. You know, it appears that they worshipped at the house of Justice or at the house of Gaius. They worshipped in homes. And when you look across that audience of people, and I, I don't know how many people were there in the church of God, which was at Corinth, but when you look across the room, what I want you to see are people who are very diverse. Some of those people uh, had lived really rough lives. Put up the next slide, please. They had lived in sin, and not just sin. I mean, everybody who was there of appreciable age had lived as a sinner. That's, that's why they needed to be saved. But there are some who had lived in sins that very often will, Im, will imprison people. And so fornication and idolatry and adultery and homosexuality and stealing and covetousness and drunkards and extortioners. He says, you know what? Such were some of you. So when you look at the, the crowd at Corinth in the church, I want you to see that this is some, this is not everybody. You have a difference about this. And, and I suppose some were less inclined to commit these kinds of things and some were more and, and whatever, but, but they're different about, about this. Here's number next. They, they were married and some were not. First Corinthians chapter seven. Some of them in the crowd you'll see were widows. Some of them were children. They were different about that. Some of them were Gentiles. As a matter of fact, um, next slide, there you go, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2, most of the people were Gentiles. Some were Jews. And I know that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when he's talking about how you used to be and how you are now, he says, now some of you are slaves. And, and, and his reaction to that is just very, very interesting. I'm sorry, some were Jews. I, I beg your pardon. Some were Jews. And, and he says, he, he phrases it this way. He says, um, if you were, if you were called in circumcision, uh, don't, don't seek to be uncircumcised and vice versa. Then he repeats it. And so he's talking about people who are Jews. So in that audience, you have not only Gentiles, but you also have Jews. Some of the people, and we've got individuals who are named, were powerful people or wealthy people. For example, Erastus. Now, Romans 16 describes Erastus as the treasurer of the city. You could do some research about Erastus. This is very interesting. I don't know all that that would mean for a man in Corinth, but he was the treasurer of the city. And 2 Timothy 4 and verse 20 places him in Corinth. Now, here's a couple of other fellows, uh, Crispus and Gaius. And perhaps you remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any more of you than Crispus and Gaius. And he explains that because people were, people were claiming a, a religious attachment to the people who baptized them. Some said, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. No, 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 he says, that's the wrong way to do it. So I'm glad that I only baptized Crispus and Gaius with my own hands. The rest, other people baptized. Well, Crispus and Gaius then are mentioned later. So you go to Acts 18 and verse 8, and Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. How do you like that? Now, that would not be true after he became a Christian. I don't see any way that he could continue in that role, but he was, he was at least at some point the ruler of the synagogue. In Romans 16, 23, Gaius is called Paul's host and the host of the church. So apparently he let Paul stay in his home, but the home was sufficient to, to host the church, to worship there. And so Gaius was apparently a man of means. Some of them were 
were not wealthy. Some of them were not well-to-do. Some were common people. In fact, most were. Chapter 1 and verse 26. You see, you're calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But as I mentioned a while ago, when you get to chapter 7, you even have slaves there. Were some of you called being slaves? He said, don't, don't, don't run away and don't have a protest. He says, you, you're free in Christ. You're free in Christ. And that's a rather large teaching. You had some in that church who suffered. So in your mind, in your imagination, at the house of Gaius or Justice, I want you to look around at the audience, the crowd in that house. I don't know how they sat. I don't know how the house was constructed. But I just want you to try to use your imagination about that. And Sosthenes was there. Now, Sosthenes is, is mentioned in the first verse of 1 Corinthians. But then he's also mentioned in Acts 18 and verse 17. And the Bible says... The Greeks took him, they took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. uh, I've known people who had struggles being Christians, and and I have worshipped beside them. How do you suppose it would feel this morning to be sitting next to Sosthenes? How would that feel? Well, the point is that, that in the, the church is designed in a, in a rather remarkable way, just a little bit shy of miraculous, that you could have people like you do in this room right now this morning who are very diverse. They, they, they grew up differently. They, they live differently. I mean, you could, you could just measure them like I've just done the Corinthian Christians in all different ways, and they're very diverse. And yet, they're joined together because all of this stuff becomes superficial. Everything I just said becomes superficial and, it, and is eclipsed by this one reality, that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, and that we're one in Christ. And none of this matters compared to that. It all pales into somewhat insignificance. Besides this reality, we are people who are joined together by the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Hold on now. Wait. Hold that in your mind. Let that simmer for a second, and then appreciate that if we... If we don't get this right, our differences could divide us. If we elevate those things, then they divide us. And so that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. So chapter 1, verse 10, I beseech you that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, because he says, I've been listening to to the household of Cloy, and I understand that there are contentions among you, and I believe that that's true contentions. When you get to chapter 11, you read about how they're eating the Lord's Supper, and some of those people who are well-to-do and they've got plenty of food are eating their food in front of people who don't, but they're not sharing their food. You've got, you've got something real ugly going on there, and what that church is doing is failing because they don't love one another. So when you get to these three chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and our chapter this morning is the middle one, it's about spiritual gifts. Now, I don't know, maybe this is just, it's still very strange to us because we don't have miraculous gifts today. We don't have them. And, and we could talk about that later. That's, that's an important discussion to have, but we don't have the miraculous gifts today. I just, I, I just want you to think that it, it wasn't working out. It wasn't because the miraculous gifts weren't great. They were because, I mean, they confirmed the word. It was an infant church and it was, it was so very important. But people weren't really cut out for this. I mean, I don't suppose long term or God would have let us keep them. And it's illustrated really great by, by the, the Corinthian church. And so they're having this, this battle. You say, well, you've got, you've got the gift of, 
of healing. Well, I, <laughs> that's pretty good, but I've got the gift of tongues. Really? And maybe, I don't know, I don't know why, but I, I don't get that. But, but they thought the tongues were pretty great. That was the big one. Now, don't ask me. I don't, I, I don't understand that. I just know that when you get to 1 Corinthians 13, you have these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14. Right in the middle is love. He sticks that right there. And he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I don't have love, it's worth nothing. It's, I'm a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. How do you like that? I could give my body to be burned. In my religion, I could give my body to be burned. But if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. And then he gives the description of what love looks like. All right, now we're ready. It's a diverse church. We would have trouble defining love, but everybody in this room, we've got it clear, is that love is not merely an emotion. Love is an emotion that is animated by our actions. And without the action to show the love, nobody really believes it's genuine, not the real thing. This is not a sonnet. This is not a piece of poetry, and I love that. I, I don't, I'm not opposed to poetry, but this is, this is not to talk about love and say we're going to run through some field and pluck daisies and he, he loves me, he loves me not. That is not what this is. this is. This is real. This is get down to where you live real. Let's go. Number one, there, there are how you count them, depending on how you count them, there's 14 of these, and they're evenly divided between the, the positives and the negatives. Here are the things that I'm just going to do them chronologically as you find them here, but uh, here are the things that, are, that are, are descriptive of what love really is, agape love. Number one, love suffers long. I, I, just, I just think that's almost humorous. It's just so amazing to me that that's the first one. Because it just automatically it just tells you something about the brilliance of the Holy Spirit. Because I doubt that's where we would start if we were talking about describing love. How would you describe it? How would you do it this morning if you wanted a church to know about love? What if, what if you were writing this sermon but without the Bible and you wanted to teach the church about love? Well, what would you, how would you start that? I'm not so sure you start out saying love suffers long. You know what love suffering long means is that sometimes it's going to hurt. And it's, it's, about, it's about patience. It's, it's about a church that is so diverse in, in these kinds of what I'm calling the superficial things. It is so diverse in those things that sometimes the wires are going to cross. And my threshold for, for anger against my brother or my sister needs to be high. We got that? And that's really tough, but it's not like, it's not like every place else. This is special. We're in the church now. We're in Christ, and these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I need to raise that threshold to where it's not easy to tip me over. I already know coming in that we're going to be different. I already know that. I, we follow the same doctrine. We follow the same truth. We follow the same Christ, and we, we work under the same eldership who helps lead us, and all of that is true. And the rest of it... We're going to live with patience. It's kind of interesting that when we ate the Lord's Supper this morning, I was thinking about, of course, about the cross. And, but I think, I think it was harder for Jesus to die on the cross than it would have been for me. What I mean is that I, I, could, I would die like a man, and, and I would suffer 
just like anybody else, and I don't mean to minimize that. I just mean that what if you add the component of being able to avenge that right then and get down off that cross? Now, you want to talk about going crazy. You want to talk about going crazy. Could you do that? I mean, it's one thing to die because you're, you're stapled to this tree, but it's another thing to, to be able to get down and just destroy everybody who's your enemy. It's another thing. I'm telling you, mentally, it must have been unspeakable. And, and now just, just bring that down to a small place and say, here's the def- definition of love or the description of love for the church. And he starts out by saying, love suffers long. And I would say to you that it means I pause before I avenge myself. If somebody's done me wrong or aggravated me or frustrated me, I've got this patience. I don't have to avenge or provide retribution for every little thing. So number two, he says, love suffers long, and it's funneled up with this one, and is kind. That's perfect. That is just, it's just perfect when you, when you're, when you think about all that we've talked about so far, it just makes such good sense. Love suffers long, Slow on the trigger, buddy. We're slow on the trigger in the church. We have to be because something is more important than me. It's not about me. It's some, there's something bigger, and the church is more important than all of us. Love suffers long, so we can do that. We, we can do that for this, this cause and is kind. You want to be like God? I don't, I don't use that terminology very much because, of course, we're not God. God's not a man that we should be like him. And he's, he's higher than us in his thoughts and his ways. And everything about God is higher than us. But, 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 but I can repeat the question. Do you, do you want to be like God? Because here's the sense in which you can. We can be like God in kindness. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, he says, love your enemies. Now wait, this is not for cowards. This is pretty tough. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. You, how you doing on that? How you doing on that? Did you ever get cursed? I guess so. Probably, perhaps. How'd you respond to that? Did you curse him back? No. Why not? Well, because this, because of what this passage says. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. Well, that's revolutionary. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. How are you doing on that one? Are you praying for people who persecute you? Are you praying for him? Because that's what Jesus taught us here in the Sermon on the Mount. But then I want to I tag on this last part that he said. He said, so that you can be like your Father in heaven. I love that. That's the reason. There's your motivation. So that you can be like your Father in heaven. Are you ready? Because he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends his reign on the just and the unjust. He, that's, that's right, of course, isn't it? Jesus is right about that, isn't he? We've been getting good rain lately. And it fell on people who were in this room, and it fell on people who couldn't care less about service to God. There's a kindness there. How are we doing on that? Want to be like God? You can do do that with what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 teaches. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says, Be kind one one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of his his forbearance and his long-suffering. And don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? See, there's the lesson for the church. You want to be like God? Okay, here it is. How do we help each other to be strong in Christ Jesus? And one way, 
is, is the kind of family, familial patience that we have for, with each other. And without it, without it, uh, we're going to have trouble. We, you, you, can't, you can't make a man be faithful to Christ, but you can help him be faithful. And one of the ways is the kind of patience taught here in kindness. This room is different. This is a different kind of room. And you know this is true in your own life. If you're a member of this church, you know it's true. You go out there outside and you work in the world and you, you face all sorts of things, some of which are just dog eat dog. But you come in here and it's not like that. It's a place of kindness. God help us. It's always going to be a place of kindness where people suffer long and are kind. All right, here's the third one. Love doesn't envy. Envy. Now, let's talk about, let's talk about envy. I want to give you some, some uh, I think that we minimize this one. I mean, you, what, what, can, can you define envy? How would you define envy? You, you would define it maybe like it's covetousness. But, but this, is a, this is a different level. Covetousness says that I see what you have and I want it. I covet. Every, every time something has been stolen, it was preceded by the sin of covetousness. I want what you have and enough that I'll transgress God's will to get it. I'll break God's law to get it. That's, that's covetousness. I covet you or your possessions or your position or whatever it is. But envy or jealousy is a step above that. It says that I see what you have in position or popularity or financial things or material things. And it's not only that I would like to have them, it, it transcends that. This, this would be to say, I, I'm, I'm opposed to you. I'm offended by you. I don't, like, I don't like you, and it's because you have these things. I don't like it because you have them. It makes me mad that you have them. Now, that's really interesting that he puts this in the list of love. But when you, when you just stand back and look at these 14 things, wow, the Holy Spirit has it. This is, this is an amazing grasp of the subject. This is the definitive work for all the world on this subject. It's comprehensive. How bad is envy? Give me the next slide, please. Here's, here's Song of Solomon. And, and this, this shows you the, elo, the uh, level to which this is serious. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire. A most vehement flame. Now, if you've ever felt envy for someone, that is, I see what you have. I'm jealous of that, and I don't like you because you have those things. Then perhaps it, it's, it, but perhaps part of it is that I should have them instead of you. It isn't right. Why? It's unfair. It's just not fair that you have so much of these things, admirable things, desirable things. I don't. Next slide. So here are some examples. In Matthew chapter 27... When Pilate says, well, I tell you what, let me exchange Barabbas. I'll give you Barabbas, or I'll take Barabbas, you take Jesus. What do you say? Let's free Jesus, and we'll do one or the other. What do you say? Because he felt like that people would just hate Barabbas. This parenthetical note says that because Pilate knew that for envy they had, they had taken Jesus. They hated him because people were following him. They viewed him as a Pied Piper. 
people were following him and the, the attention that they should be getting from the people, the devotion that the, they should be getting from the people. Well, that's not what was happening. The people were following Jesus, and it just galled them. You have the same thing in Acts chapter 7 and verse 9 mentioned. And, and so why were the brothers of Joseph so opposed to him? Why did they hate him enough to kill him? Ready for this? Envy. It was about this emotion called envy. All right, now number next. Love doesn't parade itself. It is not puffed up. It doesn't parade itself. This one's about pride. It's about, it's about pride. Now, here are three things that pride will do for you. One, it'll deceive your heart. Jeremiah chapter 49, 16, the fierceness has deceived you, the pride of your heart. Wow, be careful about that. And, and in your mind, repeat after me, in, in my relationship to the Christians in the church, the church is bigger than me. And ready? ready? It's not about me. I, I can't make this about me. What's happening in this room right now, what happens in all of our works in this church, all that we do, I've got to keep repeating this. It's not about me. And pride will harden the mind. And so in Daniel chapter 5, when Daniel is interpreting the writing on the wall for Belshazzar, he says, let me remind you about your daddy. When his heart was, which is his grandfather, we're not sure about that, but Nebuchadnezzar anyway, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. They took glory from him. And ultimately, it will destroy you. Here's Proverbs chapter 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You, you think about churches of Christ through the decades that have ultimately fractured and come apart. You ever been around that? You ever seen that before? We use the word split. It is, an, it is a terrible tragedy, unspeakable tragedy, not only because of the people in that church, but because of what it does to the community. And what would be the resolution to that? Well, sometimes it's about, it's about a departure from truth and it pulls people apart. And I get that. But I would say more times than not, it has to do with, with the fact that people forget about love. They forget, and I don't mean that, I'm not talking in poetry here. I'm talking about this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You start forgetting about these qualifications or descriptions of love, and what's going to happen is the devil's going to get in and pull you apart. And here's the next one. This is the last one for this morning. Love doesn't behave rudely. This one seems so simple. I think it is simple. I, I, this, rudely means in an offensive manner. And, and what is interesting about this is, is that some people take great pride in this, I think. And maybe, maybe they were raised around it, and so they just think it's a great thing to do, that you always speak your mind no matter what you're thinking, and, and you get a couple extra points when you put people in their place and just let them have it, right? And um, in the church, he puts this one in the list about love. He says, it's not like that. We don't behave ourselves rudely. I'm, I'm not about bludgeoning people. You can't be about, and I'm telling you something now, I just... This is a secret. I really hate to tell you, but this is true. Sometimes it happens to preachers. I mean, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you, you'll, you'll hear preaching and you'll know that he has this opinion that the meaner I am, 
the uglier I am in my speech or my disposition, the stronger this sermon must be. And perhaps people will know that I'm really strong. That's not the, that's not the definition of strong. The Word of God is strong. But to be offensive, to be mean, is not, is not where the strength is. Sometimes you'll see a man in this church who is uh, phys- very physically fit. Well, you know, like me. And, and sort of, and strong and built and, and yet he has a, a sweet and kind disposition. So that his vocabulary is full of, of words like these. Thank you. Please. No, no. You first. Or, excuse me. Or, can I, wait a minute. Can I help you with that? Let's see, that's, that would be right. This is wrong. And it's in the list. It made the list. All right, my time is up. I tell you what, tonight you, you come back and we'll take up the list and we'll talk about the balance of these descriptions about love and how we love one another. You're in a room right now with Christians. And if you're not one, I hope that, that this uh, helps, to, helps to define who we are. In Christ, I've always thought it was interesting that, that the Bible says that the common people heard Jesus gladly. I believe it's because of teaching like this. Where, where are you going to hear this? Where, I mean, where, this is not worldly teaching. This is godly teaching. This is about Christianity. And I declare to you it's different. And if you've been thinking about becoming a Christian, but you haven't obeyed the gospel, now would be such a good time. The Bible says that we are baptized in water, and that we're baptized into Christ and into his death, Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. It's the way that we contact that blood of Jesus on the cross, and we appropriate it to our own souls. That's what the Bible teaches. And so, would you like to obey the gospel this morning? And we'll be happy upon your repentance of sins and confession that you believe Jesus is God's Son, Romans 10 and verse 10. Be happy to baptize you just like the Bible says. And it may be that you're here this morning and you really need the the prayers of your brothers and sisters and perhaps relative to something that has been said this morning. We'd be so happy to pray with you today. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.